Welcome, everybody, to episode 24 of the Beyond Red and Blue podcast. I am your host, Bo Richards, and with me, as always, is my co-host, Dan Humphrey. Say hello, Dan. Greetings and salutations. Today, it's just the two of us, no guests, but that's okay. We're going to go over some news, go over a couple of questions that we've been asking ourselves. Um, Is it possible to save the Republic? Are we capable? Um, If we're not capable, how do we brace ourselves? These are some very interesting questions that we've asked ourselves. We have a few others, but we're going to delve right into it and uh, try and get to the bottom of some of the things that have been keeping us both up at night. Um, I'll pause for a second so that you can cut things. Good. Okay. Um, And let me find my place here. Perfect. Got it. So, yeah, one thing I thought was very interesting that you had said is, um, and I actually had written this up as well, is uh, maybe we need to go through a period where civilization fails before we correct it, right? Um, Yeah. This is a, a very interesting problem but it's something that i I, uh um something that actually scares me quite a bit um you ever seen uh uh, mighty ducks 2 have not so in the mighty ducks 2 uh they the they have a tutor because they're training for uh you know the 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 good junior goodwill games and uh uh, miss miss mckay michelle mckay i think's her name but miss mckay and she's talking to all the the teenagers and she's like you know america's like you guys they're teenagers um, America's a teenager and it's young and it makes mistakes and all that kind of stuff. And this reminded me of that because I, it, if we assume that that is true and based on the age of most cultures or most countries, America's fairly young. Um, oh, yeah. We're at that age where we always believe that we're right, we're arrogant, um, our elders don't know any better, and um, we're going to fuck up. And then only as we get older do we realize, like, how kind of naive and blind we are. And and so it, one of my it, – it's a fear of mine, but I, it may be something that's necessary is that um, maybe that actually is what has to happen is that we have to, as a culture, be a te- – as a teenage culture, do dumb teenage stuff, suffer and live through that consequence. And then once we're on our own – and mom's no longer there to wash our dirty underwear. We figure out what it actually means to be an adult. We learn how to adult and we grow the fuck up. Um, I don't like Maybe. that. Yeah, I don't I don't like it. Um, but that, uh, that that does scare me, you know, it. it, it um, but sometimes I think that's what's necessary. Like, um, how does the, what's the saying? Uh, you know, it doesn't matter how many times you tell a child that fire burns. A child has to burn themselves first before they can understand what fire actually does. You know, like it's that kind of a that right. kind of a mentality. It's like don't stick the fork in the light socket. Well, the kid's not going to listen until they do, and it shocks the shit out of them. Right? Maybe this is one of those situations where, you know, every reasonable or even unreasonable person is like, America, don't fuck this up. 
and America's like hold my beer, but you have to like let them. <laughs> we have to like let America fuck it up. You know, America has to burn itself to some degree um, before it comes back and says, "Oops, like we swung a little bit too far that direction. We need to peel it back." Um, cultures have done that over this the the millennia and not came back from that. You know, um, Rome comes to mind. Uh, you know, is a republic that lasted for a very yeah. long time, had what a hundred years of pretty bad, you know, violence and within politics and stuff. And then what was it? Augustus was like, put me in charge and I'll keep the peace. And then he's the one who was causing a lot of the peace. And then Rome crumbled because he fucked it all up by basically being a dictator. Right. And so, um, that's the scary part is like, we made us never come, come out of it, but it also may be what's necessary. Um, Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, I think it's it's the short memories that we as human beings are doomed to contend with. <laughs> you know, when uh, when the country was founded, the concerns were much greater and the memories much fresher, even though the founding fathers, most of them were, you know, elites. They understood um, how bad things had been, how bad things could be, and some yeah. of the very core, the actual principles of what drives that type of, um, you know, societal behavior in terms of, you know, allowing a monarchy to rule or, or whatever. Um, so they, they stepped out with a clear understanding of some of those mechanics. Mm -hmm. um, you know, fast forward, um, whatever it's been, 250 years, roughly, um, I think a lot of those lessons have been lost. They're given lip service, but without a, a visceral memory of what it is that is unique about the United States. Um, it's very easy to forget those lessons or to um, lessen them uh, in, in conversation. Um, and that's not, you know, the only lessons we've had a couple of world wars. We had a Great Depression. And typically right after those events, that generation is very keenly aware of what is really at stake, how bad it really can be, mm -hmm. and what is um, what needs to be prioritized in terms of fixing. Yes. Uh, but we've had such a good run over the past few decades, um, in a relative sense, of course, that I think the current, the, the generation that is coming of age, the, uh, the millennials and particularly the Gen Z crowd that are becoming adults and affecting culture and society and how we do things, um, they have no memory of, of the real danger, of a real struggle, of real oppression. They, they don't have, that's not their lived experience, regardless of what they're going to tell you. Mm -hmm. Um, and without that, without that understanding, that very visceral understanding, it's so easy to make uh, very avoidable mistakes. Uh, and I, I think we very well may be on that path. I don't know if there's a way to pull this back, but if you extend the, cure, the current trajectory of where social justice culture is going, um, it's going to implode and take the country with us. Yeah. You know? And if that happens, the survivors will understand and they're probably going to build back a whole lot better 
Um, but ha. I think it's going to take a that, fair bit. Yeah, I like that. I that think was it's going to nice take a Joe fair Biden bit. plug right there. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's going to take. There are going to be a lot of casualties um, in that occurrence, and uh, yeah, not everybody's going to survive it. So that's concerning. No, uh, yeah, I agree. Um, I, something interesting you pointed to was how certain generations have very clear issues within their memory that they can pull from to say, hey, this was bad. We need to make sure we don't do this shit again. And that um, we're most likely in an area, an era of forgetting those kinds of things. Um, something that came that reminds me of that is by most nears from what I've heard and near as I can tell without having any actual data in front of me, um, by most measures, our country is safer with less discrimination, murder. I think murder's up, but um, by and large, but discrimination, racism, sexism, what have you. All those measures are down comparatively over the last compared to the last century. Like there, there yeah. isn't there, there isn't from what I understand actual huge increases of all of these kinds of things. And yet the arguments that we see from, you know, say the, the, the woke movement um, are that it's worse than it's ever been. And so um, also you can also look to what it is that they're claiming. What they're claiming isn't that there's overt acts of racism. There's subversive acts of racism or micro and systemic forms of racism that you can't quite see or you need to have your eyes open to see or isn't actually there, but it's there because it's within baked within the system. And on some level, there may be a little bit of there may be actual truth to these kinds of claims. But if you look at it from a standpoint of what you're talking about, about having fresh in your mind stuff that's occurred that we need to be aware of and then not having that stuff within your memory, this would just be a recreation of that because there is none of that within memory. So you have a bunch of people who kids in particular, who like, who don't have like you anything really difficult to worry about. At least a good portion of them don't. And so like, well, let's make some shit up so that we can complain about it. Um, and I want to stress to any of our listeners, I'm not necessarily suggesting that, um, that's exactly what's going on, but I do think it's an interesting parallel to yeah. To, to, to well, think, think about because it, it could be that easily. I, I think it exploits a weakness in human psychology. Yes. Um, or maybe it's a feature or what have you. But it's the the temptation to adopt a victim mentality. Well, I'm not successful because of X, Y and Z. Name your intersection. Therefore, it's it's on the man. It's on the whiteness that's oppressing me. Uh, versus looking at it and say, well, what can I do for myself to make the situation better regardless of the circumstances? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, 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 the field is not level. Got it. Uh, if we check the history, it's more level than it has been. Still not perfectly level. But I can either stand on the sidelines and cry because it's not level or I can lace up my fucking shoes and get to work. Yeah. Um, and it's it's, you know, in terms of, of expenditure of energy and also, you know, uh, psychological self-esteem, it is so much easier to be able to point fingers at everything else as a reason to why you are 
uh, failing, frankly, or not getting exactly what you want versus looking at yourself and say, okay, what didn't I do or what mistakes did I make? What do I need to correct? Do I need to work harder? And, and looking within for the tools to fix your situation, um, which is really sad because that's honestly, that's the most empowered position you can take. Regardless of any kind of fairness, if you put it on yourself to take care of your own situation, that's just going to be your best bet of fixing things. That's just all there is to it versus just sitting there and, and uh, being a keyboard warrior and crying about all the things that have gone wrong and trying to dismantle everything, particularly without a plan to actually, uh, you know, to make it all better, but just try and tear it all down. Um, that might make you feel better in the short term, but it's not actually going to improve your situation. And as we're seeing in you know, the current climate, it's making the situation worse for basically everybody else. It's a race to the bottom. Yeah. I, I think that, so it's hard. That's why people yep. don't, that's why people don't do it. Um, we've talked a little yep. bit about this in, in previous podcasts. Uh, personal responsibility is what comes to mind. The podcast we did on that in part, because what we're talking about is personal responsibility. Um, it is very difficult to take a hard look at yourself full stop um, because we're flawed. So, and that's putting it nicely and politely and uh, mellowly. Um, it can be hard to be, it's hard to be truthful with yourself to admit your faults and your demons and your monsters. Um, and it's much easier to blame everyone else. Absolutely. It's a, it's a psychological scapegoating of sorts. I actually would be curious to talk with an evolutionary biologist or someone who studies, maybe like an evolutionary psychologist, someone who studies evolution and psychology and um, like how the traits that we have, have why we've kept them over time. Because um, yeah. I'd actually be curious why this sort of mentality has been kept, is, is a thing. Um, because it doesn't seem to me to be, it seems very bad uh, to me, To I guess to put it lightly, it's very malignant, it's very um, insidious, and it's very dangerous and unhealthy for both a person who engages in it and in the people around them, especially when it goes too far. I mean, we talk a lot about it going too far. Um, victimhood style mentality, going going too far is, is literally communism. I, I'm not actually being hyperbolic there, one of the fundamental tenets of communism is a victimhood mentality. That's the entire point of a Marxist idea of giving to those who need, is that if I'm a victim who needs things, it gets given to me by the state. Like that's a core right. tenet of Marxism. And so I wonder evolutionarily why that's something that has been allowed to be, that has been retained as like a psychological trait versus it dying out is something that's not as common. I, I would be curious about that. Um, there has to be an evolutionary benefit for it or we wouldn't have it, right? Um, Agreed, yep. And so uh, that might be, that'll probably be something that I'll, um, we could try and do an, an episode on with, with an actual, with a doc that's got a little bit more, obviously more experience than we do in that because, uh, but yeah, um, yeah it, it's hard. And I think that, 
I mean, just admitting that you're wrong in something is difficult. And, yeah. Like, I was wrong about an answer, right? Um, I can give you an example. Well, it's not hard for me, but um, I'll admit something wrong just to, so our listeners can understand. I incorrectly said the m- mispronounced the name of an author from last podcast. And I realized it like two minutes later or like one minute later, but we'd already passed the conversation. So I didn't, uh, um, I didn't correct myself, but, uh, um, it's, uh, Patricia Hill Collins, as opposed to Patricia Hill Sullivan, which is what I said in the podcast anyways. Um, yeah. And so, uh, um, like that isn't necessarily hard for me to do, but can be uncomfortable sometimes when you make a mistake and it's like, oops, um, it get it's compounded and more work and made it's compounded when, what you're admitting to being false or wrong is the ideology with which you base the entire like um, sovereign, like validity of your life on. Yep. Right. Um, if if what I believe is let's say woke social justice ideology, because it is an ideology, um, not a. It's it, it is morphed from a theory social theory of the word or world or a critical social theory into an ideology in part, in part uh, like all ideologies because there's one explanation for how the world works within the theory and it's their explanation and it's a closed argument that it's a kafka trap as it were where there is one way to view the world and it's theirs everywhere else every other way is just simply um, either wrong or a negation of another person's argument against their idea and it's unfalsifiable. Right. And that's kind of what I mean by that closed argument, yeah. right? Is that, Yeah, yeah. And so um, by negating my argument, you are – or when I, when I say something to you and you negate that, you are actually affirming it by the negation, right? Um, yep. So by saying – claiming you're not racist actually makes you racist. There we go. That's exactly. – which is the literal argument that Robin DiAngelo makes. In, yep. wh- in white fragility about white people being racist. So, um, and if you don't believe me, anyone is listening, um, you can read the book. And if you know who I am, um, I will let you borrow it because I own it. Um, I could probably, I don't have the page number offhand, but I can find the page or multiple pages where it tells this, I'm not making this shit up. Um, but if that ideology is null and void and you no longer have a structure with which you can base the world on, that's what people get so angry about. That's why it's so difficult is that, um, you know, we were talking earlier about uh, using the logic or lack of logic of social justice theory against social justice keyboard warriors as a way to break break it down. Um, it's it, Unfortunately, it's not that simple because what you're talking about is literally erasing or not literally, but metaphorically or metaphysically erasing how they actually view the world and people cling more tightly to how they view the world morally than they do anything else. Um, That's why a lot of people get so angry when you challenge their religion is because most people, at least for centuries have viewed religion as their moral center of how the world works, right? Like Christians, depending on the faith of Christianity that you follow, you have certain moral teachings and they differ from Protestantism to Catholicism or even to Hinduism and Buddhism and whatever they, they vary. And if you, if you fuck with those people will kill for them because without those moral 
underpinnings, you don't have a way to move in the world. Like it's a big fucking deal. Um, and so we have an ideology that takes those moral underpinnings of religion. And in, instead of having religion, it inserts um, identity. That's actually that's the interesting thing is that it isn't what's morally correct as Allah said it or as Jesus said it or as God said it or as a bunch of, you know, old cardinals said it 900, you know, 2000 years ago when the Bible was made. It's as race theorists would say it, as Judith Butler would say, say it when it comes to gender theory. Um, and if you fuck with that, I don't have an existence in the world anymore. Let's fight. Um, oh, big time. Dude, I've, actually, I got a, a personal anecdote to that effect. Um, and, and you're absolutely right. I think it, it preys upon or at least takes advantage of the human instinct toward religion. Yes. Um, and there, there's an evolutionary case to be made as to why that is. But I think it's reasonably well accepted that um, we have there, there is a psychological benefit and an evolutionary reason for religion. And with the, um, the, the waning of traditional religious values um, and, you know, as people going to church in general, as that is uh, becoming less and less, you know, they, they need to fill that church-shaped hole in their life. Um, so, and, and social justice slots very nicely into that. Anyway, um, a very, very good friend of mine, uh, he's a very smart guy and uh, very introspective. You know, he, he leads an examined life, which I very much respect about him. But uh, years ago, um, there was a point where he, you know, lost his religion, I guess. And, you know, I've known him for, I don't know, a couple decades now. And when we met, he was a, a very religious, or I won't say very religious, but he had a very strong faith in religion. Um, his father was a pastor kind of thing. So his life um, was, was very intertwined with religion as he grew up, and he still held those beliefs. Um, and, you know, I didn't judge him for it. Those weren't my beliefs, but he was an open-minded guy. I'm an open-minded guy, so we could just talk about stuff, and it was great. Um, and over the course of several years of me just uh, just talking to him about stuff and, and allowing him to question beliefs and things on his own, you know, just pose him a good question, have him, um, you know, logically look at a premise of how do you think this actually is, the book that was written a couple thousand years ago and, and, and all the the easy ways you can uh, address religious beliefs by just using logic. Um, and eventually it came to the point where, you know, the, the switch in his head flipped and, and he had to release that. Um, and uh, it took him about six months to really kind of settle in. Like he was somewhat of an emotional wreck um, mm -hmm. or I should say a psychological wreck. Because when you let go of such a foundational piece of who you are, well, if, if I'm not going to believe in a religion anymore and that was so much of who I am, what's left? Who am I now? Yep. And, and, and he managed, you know, he, he did great. He worked his way through that. And he actually, uh, on more than one occasion, has thanked me personally for just, you know, posing those questions and, and being open to his process. Um, but to witness that from a close friend as to how difficult that was. And again, I consider him a very uh, a mentally strong individual. 
Whereas someone who does not lead and examine life, they just kind of go with the flow and don't really think about what they think about. Um, it's just not going to happen. You know, it's just, hey, God is God. That's all there is to it. You can't question that. White people are racist. That's just all there is to it. You can't question that. Mm, yep. Or, you know, whatever your belief is. So I think that, that I just say that as a recognition of, yeah, it is a huge undertaking to make a shift like that. So to if someone has really taken on social justice as a religious framework for their life, whether or not they would call it religious or not, um, you know, that's the human instinct that is, is it's slotting into there. Um, nobody's going to give that up easily. Yeah. Um, and it's not going to happen with logic or reason because baked into that belief are, you know, the, the fact that they, they question logic and reason in and of itself. So that they, there's no footing for any sort of conversation. They are just spouting out their beliefs and they are going to push as hard as they have to, to force everyone to believe them. You must comply. And unfortunately, that is part of their religion, which sucks because we've seen that with other religions, you know, and uh, you end up getting airplanes flown into buildings. Yeah. Um, it's it is a very, you know, the religious impulse is a very strong thing. And people, it, it, countless people have died because of it. Um, so it's certainly not something to be taken lightly. No, very um, true. Uh, what, what's the what's the saying? All all major wars were started because of religion. There's, there's very, I, you know, I've heard that many, many times yeah. throughout my life. And yeah. there are many reasons why wars have started. Um, but as I understand it, fundamental within all of them, it's a, it's a disconnect or a, um, a difference in the religious or really the moral beliefs of the two parties. Or, well, I would I would personally separate the moral from the religious, although for a lot of people, it is their religion that informs the morality. Yes. Uh, that's but what, I, that's I side why with I Sam Harris. That, yeah. yeah, I side with Sam Harris on this in that um, you don't need religion in order to have good morals. Mm -hmm. um, I think it helps a lot of people and some people may need it on individual cases because they're they're assholes at heart. And if a religion can straighten them out, great. Um, but I, I think, uh, you know morals in and of themselves stand alone. It's not like, well, if there is no God, then there are no morals. I, that I don't believe. Um, but it's, it, and, and to that end, I would, I'd be very curious to, to look more in depth for all wars. I would hundred percent back. Most wars yeah. have been started because of religion. It may have been a couple of, you know, economics and stuff like that. I'm sure, not a sure. scholar on, on war or anything. Um, but the, I think the point is absolutely still valid that so much, death and war has happened solely from religious beliefs. Yes. Um, it, it's a big, scary thing. And, and that, this absolutely counts. Social justice counts. It's a cult. It, it actually, it actively uh, rejects logic and reason, which absolutely fucking blows my mind. I, that's where it breaks my brain. I'm like, we can't even talk to these people. And another reason you can't talk to people is because they are going to redefine the words that you are trying to talk to them with. So in that sense, it's almost a, it's, it's almost a, a hopeless scenario, at least at the core of it. My hope would be that if we could present reasonable arguments to people that don't fully understand what it is they've signed up for, 
you know, and, and we've talked about that before, but not the true hardcore SJWs, but the people that have good intent and they want good things for their fellow man and their fellow woman, regardless of the color of their skin mm -hmm. or who they want to love or any of that, uh, we should all get the equal opportunity. Then, yeah, you know, the, the, the surface of the social justice looks really good. You know, the problem is down at the core. Uh, so if we could reach the people who don't fully understand or are in the process of discovering um, or just mistakenly thought that this was a good cause for, you know, normal moral reasons, um, if we can enlighten them to say, hey, this isn't quite what you think it is, I think that gives hope. But because of the way that the cult is structured in and of itself, you can't talk to the core members. They're... they're it's done. I mean, I, I can't think of a way to reach someone who is that fully engrossed in that type of ideology. Well, within the ideology itself, the notion of debate is um, disallowed. And the reason yep. the reason for that, uh, I actually I think the, the actual reason is because the arguments a lot of them don't hold up, but the um, the reason, according to theory, is that to engage in a debate. There's two reasons that are closely tied. The, the the first reason is that to engage in debate is a normal thing to do, um, and doing things that are normal is bad because <laughs> because n normal is is you know what would, else would is normal? Be, uh, here's a, here's a thought. Something else that's typically considered normal uh looking both ways before you cross the street yep so i encourage them to cease <laughs> that type of normal behavior maybe it'll help i don't know you're gonna get us you're gonna get us flagged for <laughs> for hate speech <laughs> i'm on their side man i'm just like you know fight the normalcy just charge out into the road yeah go for it um but yeah so that engaging in uh, in that sort of normative, normal behavior um, is in and of itself an act of engaging within the patriarchy um, of, uh, you know, uh, our current cultural hegemony. And um, to do so is tantamount to being, uh, a, you know, a member of whiteness, white adjacent yep. or um, whatever epithets you want to throw on there. And so, so essentially, if you engage in a debate, you are the enemy, which is convenient yes. when your argument, <laughs> a lot of your arguments don't make sense. Yeah. That's, um, that's a good defense for the indefensible. And yeah. I would like to point out anybody listening that thinks this all sounds fucking crazy and we're overblowing it or exaggerating. Um, while they will make these cases with a lot more syllables and a touch more nuance, um, these are the exact cases that they are making in terms of, you know, you're not allowed to debate. And if you're white, you're racist, even if you don't know it. And if you say you're not, that just proves that you are. And, and all these outrageous things that we're saying, um, look, into, look into the information that they're putting out, the literature and the media, because that, that's what they mean. It really is. It's, you know, we're not being hyperbolic and we're not exaggerating things. Um, we may shorten it a bit. And, and the, I bring this up because I know since you and I, Bo, have been uh, dealing with this material for a little bit now, it's kind of easy to, to shortcut our conversation because we know what we're saying. Yeah. Um, 
And, and you know, in those shortcuts, it may sound like we're getting extreme. Nope, we're just getting a little bit brief. Um, it's it, We're not exaggerating anything. And I encourage anyone to look this up for themselves because it is mind-blowing. No, it very much is. And um, often the, the brevity just comes from... Uh, this stuff is so intertwined. Um, yes. To utilize uh, theory, it's very intersectional. Um, and so, <laughs> uh, and really what I mean by that uh, more specifically is that everything informs everything else, which is, again, that's roughly one of the few de many definitions of intersectionality. Um, but everything really does inform everything else within uh within this. And that actually isn't surprising when you have belief systems, things tend to layer and stack on each other so that it's cohesive uh, to the degree that something can be cohesive. Right. And so if you understand the, the, the paradigm that social theory is uh, um, working from, this stuff does make sense. It's an odd kind of logic to the logic that we're used to, which is why we rail against it as not being logical. But within the paradigm itself, it does, it, you have to hold a couple of things to be true. But once you hold those things to be true, everything else does fall into place to some degree. Now, there are points where I can point to and say that that's clearly, that's bunk. Um, and that's what everyone that rails against it, that's why they rail against it. But um, if, I, if I'm not brief about it, I go off on a tangent for 20 minutes about different things because all this stuff comes up, but also I start to run personally, I start to run into the limits of my own education and knowledge on this. And so a lot of it's an attempt for me to, to shut up before I you know, put my own boot in my mouth. Right. Um, <laughs> well, I, I think that the, the complexity is a feature um, of the ideology that is used to obfuscate its lack of uh, reason. Um, if, if you question somebody and say, Hey, it doesn't make sense. I don't think that's logical. And they can throw 20 minutes worth of word salad at you. That is self-consistent. It may not be true. It may not be reasonable or logical, but it's consistent with its own story. Um, as you mentioned that, you know, the things that you have to hold to be true, if you accept those, which I do not, but if you accept those, then they can give all these layers and layers uh, of information and how it all intertwines and, like I said, give you the word salad um, in, in, in an effort to make it sound like what they are saying is authoritative or it's not. It's nonsense. Yes, completely agree. And so um, you mentioned complexity. Uh, page 44 of the book Intersectionality as Critical Social Theory by Patricia Hill Collins. So this is in chapter one. There are six core constructs to intersectionality, one of which is complexity. Now, this is actually just in reference more specifically to the complex nature in which um, things like race, class, gender, sexuality, nationality, ethnicity, ability, age, um, how discrimination from those things intersect. Um, but a, a broader point is that um, within critical race theory itself, within intersectionality, within queer theory, all of these things are, like you said, they're, 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 they are literally by design. Um, they're complex by design. Um, it, it isn't, it, it's not a bug. It's actually a feature. Um, In a way, you know, it's actually similar to uh, our current legal structure. If laws were written in simple, plain English, we would need a lot fewer lawyers. Yeah. 
But since the lawyers are there to help get the laws written and, and just they're the ones that work with it, the more complex that they can make the whole thing, the more you have to pay them to make sense of it. Um, it's not, of course, not exactly the same, but it's an example of what we can see in everyday life of, you know, why it can be beneficial for this movement to make things super complex mm -hmm. and tough to understand. And it, it just becomes for most people, I think it becomes a war of wills They're like, I don't get this. I don't get that. You know what? I'll just trust you. I believe what you say, because, you know, I like black people. So go tell me what's up. Yeah. Um, when the reality is they're just hiding. The fact that the shit don't make sense. There's a there's a second because you're you're spot on with that, right? So basically, lawyers are um, they're working their way into future jobs, right? They're they're making the system complex enough that they're always needed, um, yes, right? And so uh, and they're in a position to do that. That doesn't work for all jobs. Like as an example, a maid cannot do this. If a maid does not right. clean everything up, they're just going to get fired. They can't leave dirt around so they get hired again, right? There's only certain jobs that can do this. This is one of those. Um, the other reason, though, is much more nefarious in that it's the more complex things are, the more room for interpretation there is. Mm, yeah. Right. Um, and that's, yeah. So uh, that's, um, and you, you see that in quite a few things. You see that with rule changes in, in, in a lot of different things. And so uh, um, what comes to mind personally is some uh, for grappling is maybe the difference between the dynamics in jujitsu versus the dynamics of wrestling. Um, and Or maybe even better is the dynamics with different styles of wrestling, because wrestling has um, way fewer rules than jujitsu or jujitsu has way fewer uh, backwards. Um, jujitsu is more complex. And so there's much more nuance in the things that you can do. Right. And so, um, but yeah, I, I do find that very interesting, the complexity issue, um, diversity, equity, and inclusion officers is now a billion dollar venture because of this. <sighs> Grifters, man. Yeah. Um, <laughs> it's literally a multi-billion dollar business because the average person doesn't understand this stuff and so they they're willing to pay top dollar to get someone to teach it now there are plenty of people who do trainings that are not critical race theory based that are cheaper and um probably arguably from what i understand based on statistics are better uh, for actual uh, workers and stuff for for co-workers but um that's not the flavor of the day no. So, you, you know, um, I, well, like a, a Virginia school district just uh, like this recently, like, like last week or something, spent 20 grand for Ibram X. Kendi to come talk for one hour. Got to get them speaking fees, man. Right. Like, <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. That's Tiger Woods. You know, I, I actually I wouldn't be surprised if that number starts going up. I could see him getting six figures if this trend continues. Well, I, I think that he's cheaper than some others because he's younger and less experienced. Like he he's my age. Yeah. Robin D'Angelo. D'Angelo getting I'm wondering. Uh, I guess estimates are like 30 to 40, but she's also like in her 60s, I think 50s. Okay. She's older than 50, I'm pretty sure. But um and she's been doing so wait, you're saying you're saying the white woman is making more money than the black man doing the same job. 
yeah. we should address that before moving forward. Well, one big, a big part of um, uh, critical race theory is um, always being critical, self-critical. So maybe what will happen is theory will self-criticize and look into its own biases and disparities amongst, um, in this case, say, uh, di um, diversity officers and notice the disparities in income. And maybe they will uh, practice their own logic amongst themselves, which would be interesting. We got to take see. some of that money away from Robin. Yeah. Spread it around. <laughs> right, exactly. That would be very interesting to see. Um, but but yeah, and so complexity, definitely very interesting. Um, the other reason too, so I try and be as truthful as I can with this stuff um, and as brief as I can too, because like people that I know listen to this, like I don't want my ma listening to this and then calling me up and be like, Bo, why are you lying? Because then I have to like deal with my mom. <laughs> Like, I, I try to be honest just in general, but if the threat yeah. of your mother works for you, man, roll with that. Well, like, yeah, <laughs> I don't really like to lie all that much, but I'm you know, like anyone else. I, you know, I have my share of lies. Sure. But like if I lie to someone at the, the QFC and they confront me about it, I'm, I care way less about that than I do if my mom calls me up and calls me out on my lies. Uh, because because the person at QFC didn't birth me, didn't raise me, um, didn't keep me in line when I, you know, fucked off as a child and as a teen. <laughs> you may like, or may not ever see them again, even. Yeah, yeah. And so it's like, you know, and I have a great deal of respect for my ma. Um, and then well, the, the other issue is that if, if that happens, then my grandmother will call me because my mom will tell my grandmother. My grandmother is scarier than my mom. And oh, so you're double busted. Yeah. And so like, it's just not a thing. And then what will happen most likely is if my girlfriend doesn't watch the podcast, both my grandmother, and my mother will call her and then she'll get she'll she'll talk to me it, it there's just nothing good that comes from this <laughs> hell hath no fury i hear you like the ladies <laughs> in my life exactly and so it's like um <laughs> this is what happens when you surround yourself with strong women <laughs> <laughs> i love it and so it, it you know it, it's obviously funny but i'm actually being like super i'm actually being dead serious here like i i um, I'm not trying to have those kinds of conversations with people that I know where they're like, hey, you know, so I looked into this and you're kind of talking out your ass because then I have to address that problem. And I'd rather just be honest about it because then at that point, if I'm honest and one of my friends or my mom even is like doesn't agree with me, they're going to call me and be like, I looked into what you said, but I don't agree with you. And I'm like, OK, why? And then they have to explain why I'm wrong. And then I can just go yeah. to the, I can go to page 44 of this book that I'm reading that's written by one of the. She's uh, Patricia, Patricia Hill Collins is one of the leading critical race theory intersectionalists, uh, academics like in the, the woke movement. Um, and the book I just bought is the third edition of her book that was released last year. So it isn't like it's old and things have changed. Yeah. Um, What's the name of it again? Uh, Intersectionality is critical social theory. Okay. Um, I also read her other book called Intersectionality with uh, Surma Bilge. Um, which is about this similar stuff that was written a couple of years ago, but um, it's really just a, a breakdown of what it is. And then in this case, it's, it's her advocating for 
what and how and why intersectionality is a social, a critical social theory, which is different from critical theory and social theory in a couple of ways that I, I don't fully yet understand. But um, basically, it's a lens or paradigm with which to view the world that is critical of not only the current way we look at the world, but critical of itself. So um, it, it's a license to complain about everything and view the world in a unidimensional way. I'm being a little cynical there, but that's without actually doing anything about it, just to criticize. Yeah, <laughs> and, and again, I, I, I'm being cynical about that, but that th that isn't necessarily uh, incorrect. Yeah, yeah, I think worth pointing out here because this is something I I still have to catch myself it, because um, some of the terms we're using, uh, specifically critical, as well as social as well as theory. Critical social theory, those three individual words have very specific and likely different meanings than we are accustomed to when it comes to these academic conversations mm. um, about you know, society and culture and stuff like that. Um, so when we say critical, it's not like just criticizing someone, but it is a very specific methodology for you know, dismantling and tearing down and finding all the holes in a certain way of being and whatever the proper academic uh, description of that term is. Um, but it's not like much of this conversation. The words they use are not exactly what you think they mean. Uh, even if they didn't redefine it, they just have a more specific definition for those conversations. Um, all of which is to say, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, a critical theory and a social theory those are very, very specific. That's like the difference between a Chevy and a BMW. Mm -hmm. They are like different brands of an ideology with specific differences. Um, it's not just a, a generic adjective for what they're talking about. Yeah, a, a lot of, like in the case of critical, um, it's, a, uh, it's like a Swiss Army knife. Maybe like a small one, but that that word in particular is used a, a lot of different ways. They all have similar meanings, but um, and that that's part of why you know we talk a lot about context and and brevity and explaining this stuff. Um, a lot of it's like uh, learning. It, it literally is like learning a foreign language. In yeah. that, it's hard because the words are different. Um, but more so than the words being different, the hardest thing about learning a foreign language is understanding um, idiosyncrasies, like how somebody talks, uh, colloquialisms that occur, like common phrases in different parts of a country that um, don't really make much sense when said literally, translated literally, right? And yeah, so... Yeah. Um, that's in particular, from what I understand, learning English, American English is very tough because we have a lot of those and they vary across the country and they don't make sense to a lot of people because translated literally, they, they, it's nonsensical, right? Um, yeah. And so a lot of this has to be taken in context. So when, when you read this kind of stuff over and over and over again, you start to pick up on the personality of the individual writing or talking about it. You start to piece together things that they've said in the past and how it's referenced uh, 
subtextually within what they read. Like all that stuff comes from just immersing yourself in a language and reading different people. Um, that's what I, from what I understand. That's one of the many reasons uh, with Russian literature in particular, why it's commonly mentioned that um, Russian true Russian literature should only ever be read in Russian. It should never be read in English, translated from Russian, mm. because you you lose a lot of the beauty. Um, which, yeah. I, which, as someone who loves reading Russian writers, I find interesting because as terrifying as Solzhenitsyn is, um, or as Tolstoy is, or and what have you, when I read them in English because I don't read Russian, they're beautiful and amazing. Nabokov's one of my favorite my favorite authors, and he, he's a fucking brilliant writer. I can't imagine it, Lolita as an example, which is. It, an absurdly good book and, and, a, and a very inappropriate book, but a good book. I can't imagine it being more beautiful and better than it already is. But, it, you know, that, that's one of the claims is that you read it in Russian and all that Russian nuance comes out because of the language. And this isn't any different. Um, as I read it more and more, I start to understand the subtleties. And then things like the word critical has like nine meanings. And I mean that literally. And so um, it, it can mean multiple different things. It could just be as simple as um, distrust. Like, I'm going to take a critical eye to this because I distrust that this person's telling the truth. Um, you know, it, it could be a, something like that. It could uh, just be. I would consider that the standard American definition. Yeah, right, right. And, and that, <laughs> that is. makes sense. <laughs> right, exactly. And it, like as an example, if I Google critical, the second definition is expressing or involving an analysis of the merits and faults of a work of literature, music or art, which is a little bit different than what I said. Right. But the, both are used. Um, it, white people are constantly told to critically engage, whether it's with themselves or with the literature, which really just means to read more stuff like what I'm reading, more stuff about woke theory. Um, but what does it mean to critically engage with yourself? Does it mean to challenge? They also say to challenge yourself. But what it really means is um, you need to look for your racism and you're not critically engaging until you find it, which is different than analyzing your soul to see if it's pure. Like, so it's context though. And that's the thing, like that's one of the big ones that comes up is it's like when someone says to critically, you need to critically engage. Um, they don't mean you need to like look within yourself and like see if you're a good person. What they mean is that you're a racist and you need to acknowledge it. And, and I don't mean yep. that hyperbolically. I mean that literally you could look this up. It's actually said, I'm not stretching the truth here. This is actually shit that's said. And so, Critical then means admit racism, right? <laughs> which is a weird definition for the word critical. Um, yep. But out of context, that makes literally no sense because that's that's a non sequitur, I think, actually, definitionally. And but within context, it makes sense if you read it enough. You're like, oh, OK, I get it. And so like as an I think it, that's actually a great example, because I think a, a we'll say a reasonable person. Um, and I struggled with this for quite a while as, as you and I were starting to get into this material. Um, but if you were to say, you know, Dan, I need you to, to critically engage uh, in, in how you're approaching this situation. I'm like, OK, that's that makes sense. Um, I'm going to I don't want to pull any punches or if, if I'm fucking something up, I want to be aware of it. So I'm going to be critical of myself. I'm going to take a good, hard look um, and, and try to be super honest with myself to see where I'm messing something up. That's how I would interpret that. Yeah. Versus you need to critically engage, meaning, uh, a, it is presupposed that you are a racist. That's an established fact and that's not even up for debate. So you as a white man are racist. 
So what you need to do is find all the ways which you are racist and apologize for those, agonize over those, and work with the understanding that you will never not be a racist, but work to try and get better. Yep. Go ahead. Tell us how you do. Um, and and that's, that is uh, a, a profound difference in, well, in what that means. Also, yeah, well, exactly, especially when you consider that to critically engage with something in the traditional sense, so in maybe the liberal enlightenment sense, um, in what I, I was taught to critically engage with texts when I was in college. And when I when I read texts and was taught to critically engage with them, I was not taught to look for my own, let's say, my own racisms or racisms, let's say, within the texts. What I was taught was to ask questions and about the text and engage with it and look at nuance. Um, depending on the types of things we were learning, maybe I would take the author into account um, and deconstruct their beliefs and how that um, how that made the, the, the essay or the paper or the book or whatever come about. Or maybe we removed the author from the the um, the author and their personal beliefs and background from the situation. All of those things are ways to critically engage. There's more. Um, you can again, you can look it up. There's I, I forget all of them because I haven't been in academia in a while. Um, but that's those. These are all drastically different ways to be critical and to critically engage. And you know, we, we've talked a little bit about equity versus equality. Also, um, this is another example of having different meanings to things, and people take it on on faith on the surface says, okay, I know what it means to be critical, um, in a couple of different senses. So I'm just going to be critical and things will be fine. Um, I like, I want equity sounds good. Um, I have a bunch of equity in some, some companies that are doing really well. Um, I also would like equity amongst people that seems reasonable to me. Um, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't mean equality. You know, like there's a reason why, um, our current administration and why academics and social justice theorists intentionally use equity over equality. And in fact, will explain the differences between the two as if there is a difference because there is a difference. And I remember for a long time, for the last couple of years, um, the cry was that equity and equality were different from people who didn't like social justice theology um, or ideology. And then the rebuttal was equity and equality are the same. There's no, you're, you're crazy. You're being crazy to think that they're different. They mean the same thing. And now it's, they're not even hiding the fact. Yeah. I'm, I, I, I may be mistaken on this, but I, I'm actually pretty positive that the speaker of the house or no, the, um, the, uh, uh the, the person who talks for the president, um, Jen Pisaki or whatever her name is that what, what oh, the uh, press correspondent, press, or whatever. Yeah, the press correspondent, yeah. not the speaker. Um, I think she was asked what the difference was, and she explained the difference. If, I, if I'm not mistaken, I'm pretty sure that just happened. Um, and I'll have I, to look for that. I've, I've seen a few of those. But yeah, and if it wasn't if it wasn't her, it was someone someone else within uh, um, the, the the current administration, and they they actually broke down the difference between equity and equality. Like it wasn't a big deal, and yet what they just described was um, forms of socialism that don't work, which is equity of outcome, equality of outcome. Like that's what yep. they described, and they're like, "This is a good thing. Is what we want," and it's like, "No, it's not." But like, no one seems to question it, and then when they do, or no one questions it, and they're like, "Oh yeah, that sounds great," and it's like, "No, equality of outcome doesn't work." That yep. that was the major failing 
um, one of the major failings of the 20th century. And we have politicians and other people who are explaining it like it's a, like it's a no thing. I mean, there's a new, there's an infographic around, we'll link to it. Um, we'll put the podcast up that explains what equality is and what equity is and then what justice is. So justice is Ooh. the new term that gets added. So um, okay. the, it's like a, a, a picture, like a cartoon. And it, I think you, I think it's, it's people, kids or people are playing soccer or baseball. There's a sports game going on. And then there's three people of varying uh, uh, heights, like one's super tall, one's average and one's short. Um, and there's a fence between them and whatever sport game is going on. And equality is all of them get the same size box. And so the tall person can see over the fence, but neither the other two can. Equity is giving different size boxes so they can all see over the fence. And then justice is removing the, the hardwood fence and putting a chain link fence in so that they can all see through the chain link fence. Um, mm, interesting. And so, uh, but... They literally equity, as it's described in that picture, is equality of outcome because the outcome is the same. They all get to watch the game versus having an equal opportunity and this they get the same benefit from the government, which is the same size box. And some people can see and some can't, which is um, sometimes the result of um, some people get do better with the opportunities they have than others do because unequal outcomes are a part of uh, a part of nature. Um, yep. <laughs> we are not all the same. Yeah. But we're, we're a good thing. We're, we're at a point in our society where like this is being taught to our kids. Well, they're, they're straight up being indoctrinated. Yeah. I don't, I don't think that's at all uh, exaggerating or being hyperbolic. They're absolutely being indoctrinated with this. And that's, I mean, that, that's one of the most scary aspects of this is to realize just how far they've gotten their tentacles um, into not just like high level academia, but the actual educational system of our children. Yes. So if, if we think these kids are bad, just wait till the current batch grows up. You know what I mean? Like, fuck. So, yeah, there's that. Yep, there is. And I, it's. It's a little concerning to me that um, people don't seem to understand the difference between equality of outcome and equality of opportunity. And I actually don't quite understand. I I, I haven't figured out yet how j the justice fits into this just yet with removing the wood and um, putting in a chain link fence. Um because I would venture to say, and this doesn't really align with that uh, particular analogy of the fence, but when I hear justice, uh, I can only imagine that uh, being used to describe the uh, the anti-racist behavior of being prejudiced in the other direction or however the fuck Kendi describes that. Um, but if you are being unequal in the favor of the oppressed... Um, if you give them more opportunity or if you deny the opportunity of the oppressors, that is anti-racism, even though it's racist as fuck. Yeah. It... Which, if you want to wrap it all up in a nice little bow, nice little bow you call it justice. Yeah, right, right, exactly. And so um, the actual inequity itself has been addressed. The systemic barrier has been removed. Um, I think that's 
kind of what Jess is supposed to be hitting at there with that with that uh, the the picture is uh, it, it, it's interesting to say the least. Um, I'm not sure exactly how that's supposed to be uh, solved um, without dismantling the patriarchy. Yeah. Well, I mean, to me, that rings of, of things like lowering acceptable test scores based on the color of your skin um, and basically just watering down the quality of anything that uh, the United States of America tries to produce, whether uh, physically, industrially, intellectually, um, it puts the whole country at risk yeah. because we're just we're dumbing everybody down. Yeah, yeah. Um... Yeah. On the upside, on the bright side. <laughs> yeah. Give, hit me um, with some good news. <laughs> yeah. Here's some good news. I saw uh, yesterday I watched um, Eric Weinstein on Glenn Beck, of all things. Um, and that was such a refreshing and encouraging conversation to watch. Um, and they, nobody pulled any punches at all. Um, so of course, you know, most people know Glenn Beck is very much a, a right wing guy. He's got plenty of money, been on TV. I forget exactly. I don't remember if he was a Fox guy or, or wherever, but he, you know, a big name. He's a, he's a big name when it comes to the right wingers. And then Eric Weinstein is the, um, is he, he's a, either a physicist or a mathematician. He's actually, um, He's probably uh, both. No, no, no. So he uh, he's um, a f like a financial advisor. That's not the right term. He's. um. Well, I think that's just where he's he's making some dough, but his yeah. like his academic credentials. Yeah, he's a um, he got he got his degree in. Uh, fuck, what was it? I knew I know the answer to this. I can't remember offhand. Yeah. Smart motherfucker yeah, super from smart. Harvard and Princeton. And like yeah. he I, I think he would literally qualify as a genius blah 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 smart guy um so anyway, but he's also uh and, you know he's brothers with brett weinstein who we've talked about a bunch also um, a genius also yeah also a genius also a jew um so a, a a liberal jew came on to a uh program of a very well-known right-wing pundit i guess we can say mm -hmm. um so eric gets on a chat with with glenn beck and to see both sides being absolutely willing to engage, but not trying to soften anything. I mean, you know, if anybody's ever heard uh, Eric Weinstein talk, he's, he's just being Eric. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily try to make anything nice, but he wants to make it accurate. And yeah. he's, he's a smart guy. Um, and, and, you know, all the way to the explaining why it is that um, he just now came on to Glenn Beck's program, even though he's been getting constant invites for the last year or two. Um, and he said, yeah, most of it was just strategic, nothing personal, Glenn. But the more I appear on right wing media, the more the social justice warriors can point and say, look, he's on right wing media. He must be a Nazi, um, which they do. So you know, strategic in that sense. But we, it's easy to say that they are uh, ideologically opposed in a lot of ways mm -hmm. or one would think. But the reality is um, once we we get past all of this extremist behavior, frankly, um, of the, the SJWs, um, most Americans want most of all the same stuff. 
We disagree on a few things, but for the most part, you know, we want to have safe schools for our kids. Mm -hmm. We want to have a future that's not going to be totally blank. Um, all the just standard stuff. So to hear them talk from that context, and if Glenn didn't agree with something or had a question, he would just straight up ask, which is great. And Eric was great about answering it, and he made his case. Um, and it was it was such a constructive conversation to see that it, it, it was almost heartwarming. In today's climate, I found it heartwarming. Um, and additionally, uh, Eric went on to explain kind of the, the financial history of what has gotten this country into the position it is financially and where, where people have been able to take advantage of legislation or get legislation passed um, and stuff like that. Obviously, I don't know enough about it to give that same explanation, but it was some really, really fucking interesting stuff um, that goes a long way to explain, you know, why it is we are here where we are um, and it's not the the standard explanation. Mm -hmm. So it was unique and very thought-provoking. So I appreciated that. Um, so basically, I, I witnessed a conversation between two guys who are supposed to be enemies, but they're not, having a, a, a nuanced and in-depth conversation about, you know, things that are happening now, things that have happened in the past that got us here. Um, and it was just fantastic. It shouldn't be. It should be the norm. You know, I, 40 years ago, I don't think I would have raised an eyebrow to see a conversation like this. Um, but nowadays, I think it's exactly what we need. Um, and I think if there's any way that we can support, we meaning, you know, Bo, you and I, and anybody else who happens to be listening, um, if you find those types of conversations where it's, you know, uh, beyond red and blue, uh, and people are having these tough conversations. We need to support that, you know, it, help it with the metrics, give it your thumbs up and, and do all that kind of stuff, share it around. Um, because I think that's really the only chance that we have to, to survive this thing, man. Yeah, I, I would agree, um, about the survival. Uh, I think that, um, just continuing to talk. There are actually, um, I actually listed two other ways that I thought um, in my notes that I thought we could, um, what we could do to kind of help save the Republic or what we could do if there is, because you had asked, you know, is there a way for us to save the Republic? And if not, how do we brace ourselves? Um, and so yeah. I, I think that um, continuing these bipartisan apolitical style conversations is hugely important um, allowing for diversity of thought and engaging in those things uh, critically in the traditional sense is is extremely important um, the other thing the other two things i thought uh, first is to never stop learning um I were talking a little bit about this earlier, but um, about to critically engage with literature, as um, woke doctrine would say it. But that's part of the reason I'm doing that is to learn, is so that I can actually understand yeah. what's going on within social justice ideology. But also, I think too that um, I read, I don't just read books about intersectionality and queer theory and critical race theory, mostly because I would, I would go insane. 
um, or I just I probably go into a depression. It's very sad. It's very depressing. Um, a lot of it. Um, it, it for some people, maybe uplifting because they feel that it's correct. But all I see when I read it um, is a very nuanced and well thought out discussions on how I'm a terrible person. Um, and <laughs> yep. so, and there's nothing you can do about it. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's not your fault, but you're still terrible. Yeah, and so like. <laughs> But like we've talked multiple times before, like I'm not an I'm like an I'm not at all a very guilt ridden individual, and so um, my I'm very di very disagreeable and very low in neuroticism, and which is just broadly like the uh, your tilt towards negative emotion, which is things like guilt would fall under that category to some degree, and so like. I, I got to correct. I thought I heard you say eroticism. <laughs> thought that best uh, kept between yourself and your lady. But neuroticism, that is entirely different. That is very Just different. Just want to clarify. Okay, yep, thank yep, you. Yep, no, very, very different. Um, <laughs> yeah, so neuroticism is the, uh, broadly, it's the, the tilt towards negative emotion. So um, Anxiety and depression are some of the biggest manifestations of someone who's uh, very high on the neuroticism scale, psychologically speaking. Um, mm. Things they 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 see the world in a highly emotional way. Um, yeah. As an extraordinarily rational individual, someone who sees some things very analytically and rationally, um, I actually don't have a, a very large emotional output to most things, um, and so. Uh, I can see, like when I read this stuff, it takes a while, but I even even I get a little depressed and I, I, I don't see how people actually read the literature and don't come away with it wondering why they exist as humans and why their spouses still love them and are still with them and why their friends talk to them and like all these kinds of things. Like some of this stuff is pretty bleak. Like, <laughs> yeah, what, um, I, my girlfriend's listening. I'm sorry, but uh, I've never actually <laughs> asked her that uh, asked her this. But when I first read White Fragility, one of my actual que my, the first question I thought to myself is like, why does my girlfriend still date me? Because <laughs> because if the things in the book are true, like. I'm basically one of the worst people. Not only am I a straight white male, but if we want to get into all the isms, I'm a blonde haired, blue eyed, mostly German individual. So I'm basically an Aryan, too. Um, it's, and, and I'm bald. So th that's even, that's even worse, <laughs> uh, you know? So uh, <laughs> I'm basically Daniel Vineyard minus fr from American history X and minus the actual the Nazism. Um, and, but, and I, I, I mean that seriously though, like after reading a lot of the literature, part of me wonders, I'm like, I get why people are, feel so guilty because it's like, I, I read through it and I'm like, fuck, like. How do I, how am I not a horrible person if all this stuff is true? Yeah, like, it, do, it preys on that. Do it's... I even deserve to have anybody? Am I even worthy of anyone in my life? And and that's that thought goes away like two seconds later because it's well because it's bullshit. Um, and I'm not going to live my life under that those rules. That just seems very self defeating and terrible to me. But um, anyways, uh, read, learn, um, even if it's hard. Like this shit's hard for me to do, but it, do it. Um, the other thing I think people should do is, um, this is more of a warning, is uh, do not ever think for a second that because you believe you are uh, right, that if this goes south, people won't come for you. That's the other. Oh, yeah. 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 So the, <laughs> the threat is real. So that's actually yeah. that's a much more like apocalyptic uh, warning style um, thing to do. But um, 
anyone who's ever read the Gulag Archipelago will know um, there's multiple stories in, in there, multiple accounts of the Solzhenitsyn goes over where new people were funneled into the Gulags and um, you could always tell who the party members were, who the members of the Communist Party were, because they were the ones who basically what they would do is they, they would come in not downcast. They'd either have a smile or they'd be a little bit perky. And mostly what they would say is along the lines of they'd be like, oh, it was a mistake. The party will realize that I'm a member of the party and that I believe in I believe in communism and they're going to let me out soon. It's just a mistake. Don't worry. Um, yep. And they were given a lot of shit for it because everyone who'd been there, a lot of them were former party members who were named, quote unquote, and then thrown in and were never released. And a lot of them died. Um, and the, the whole point of that is that just because I feel that I'm right, and I, I assume to, to, to a similar degree, you also feel that you're right in the stuff that we talk about and um, what we're against here, doesn't mean that if this stuff takes over that they're not going to come after us. So I, I fully expect, and this is very dark and apocalyptic, but if our republic goes in a very bad direction and like a worst case scenario occurs, um, we'll be fairly down the list, but fairly far down the list, but people will come for us. That would be my expectation. If it if it if it gets that bad, that that would that would obviously be a problem. But um, I don't I don't harbor any any notions that because I I, I believe I'm actually right that I'll, that I'll be safe if something like that occurs, which is a weird thing to think through. Well, I agree with that, and it gets even worse. Even if you agree with what they are saying, it has been demonstrated time and time again mm -hmm. online where most of these conversations take place that you can get canceled in an instant yep. for one little mistake of, of not towing the line, of not saying the right words, taking the right stand, not complaining loud enough, whatever. Um, but people that would be considered SJWs that have themselves been canceled by their former comrades for, you know, one simple little statement or for not making a statement or, you know, whatever, not not doing what they're supposed to. They didn't do what they were told. So they got canceled mm -hmm. and they were supposed to be on the same team. So they, they have demonstrated um, a, a willingness and a penchant for doing that. So even if you agree, now if you agree with this, you're probably not this far in the podcast. But just as an example, <laughs> even if you agree with what it is that they're they're espousing, um, that's not going to save you either. And that is, you know, much like, you know, communism, socialism, um, that's how it breaks down because it has to. Yeah. It's, it is forced in order to maintain that ideology. It is forced to use violence to repress any opposition mm -hmm. because, you know, logic, reason and the rule of law can't do that under the system. So they have to use violence and they do. Um, well, yeah, so, so there's the the violence has to be used first because of uh, there has to be a legitimate threat of violence, as we've talked about, in order for laws to work. So that's the first right issue. And but you see that across all forms of government, um, uh, tyrannical or otherwise. Right. Uh, like Amer the American legal system is useless if there is an actual if there isn't an actual threat of violence. Now, that threat sure. of violence can go too far, and we see those cases like, say, the George, George Floyd case um, last summer when cases go actual, actually go too far. There was too much violence, right, too much lethal force. Um, and there's others, of course, but that's the big one that is sort of um, – 
pushed a lot of the, um, the peaceful protests that we've seen in the last year. Um, but the second thing is that with repressive ideologies, when they're in control, um, the reason that they violence occurs is because they have utopian they, they have utopian outcomes. Like they want certain things that are utopian in nature and are generally either not, um, as far as I can tell, they're not actually possible to, to literally do. It isn't that they're not done correctly and therefore they become unattainable. It's a utopian ideals are unattainable. That's why they're utopian. And when they don't come to fruition, the leaders are forced with two options. One, they could admit that their ways are wrong, which is what democracies do. Um, and not what authoritarians do, because if they're wrong, then you just get a new authoritarian leader. Um, or they can use repressive violence to suppress thought that disagrees and then push the narrative that they want to put push, which is exactly what happens. Um, for anyone who's interested in this latter part, um, Mao Zedong, uh, so in China, um, he actually... It did he actually did what we're discussing in as much as he he told academics that he wanted to um, he wanted to hear from them to help make the government better. He was like, give me your opinions about what I'm doing with Maoism. And I forget what they called it, it was like the year of the flower or something. But um, he got something like 300,000 responses from academics. And I actually, I actually mean three hundred thousand. I'm pretty sure that's the the number. I don't think I don't think I'm exaggerating. It was like a huge fucking number of criticisms. It was so much criticism that not only did it shock him, he got angry and then shut the program down and then basically went through and started a purge of all academics. He then because he didn't expect them to like come back and be like, well, here's all the ways you fucked up the government in the in the country. And because he thought he was doing well. And so he was faced with a choice by allowing freedom of speech. He was like, well, I can either fix the problems or I can just imprison all the academics, which is what happened. And then corruption occurred because this is the thing that follows when there's no academics who can take the place of the academics that are either murdered or killed um, or leave um, in the government. And you have no other academics to produce academic work and to go into the government and be competent. You then have to hire people who are incompetent. And then you have, you have corruption. And not that corruption doesn't yep. ha not that corruption doesn't happen with with academics who are you know people who are highly educated, but you're more likely to get incompetent individuals who don't know what they're doing, who then go go to corruption to get things done because they're not educated. Um, and so, uh, and you know, we have gotten a taste of that already in that um, the the positioning of people by Donald Trump to surround himself with the loyalists, th that's a flavor of that. He put incompetent people in places of power uh, simply because they would do what he said. Right. So that's, you know, it's, it's, it's an authoritarian tendency to do that kind of thing. And yeah, it, same thing would happen. You've got to purge out all the academics. Well, we're going to need some more. And uh, they don't necessarily have to know what they're doing. They just have to agree with me. Exactly. And that's yeah. all, all the qualifications you need. Yeah, it, it's it's crazy shit. And so, um, yeah, that wraps it up for me. That's uh, just learn, um, voice your opinions. I'll expand a little bit on, on the learning just from the sense that um, 
I know that that myself, I'm a very curious person. Bo, I know you're a curious person. Yes. So learning is fun. Um, you don't have to force me to learn stuff. Um, if it's boring, I may not learn it very well, but left to my own devices in, say, a pandemic, um, I learn a bunch of stuff just because I enjoy it. Not everybody's that way, and that's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um, I would encourage any of the listeners, if you're not the type of person that just you know devours books and, and loves to learn in that way, um, start with small little bits and just you know think of it almost like I don't want to say doing chores because it shouldn't be something like that, but just something that you commit to yourself to doing and and do it in a, as easy a way as possible. Make it palatable to yourself, whether it's audio book. Um, or some videos or, or whatever, you know, find the flavor of education that works for you mm-hmm. and, and pursue that as, as best you can. Um, you know, if you're out there thinking, I, I don't, you know, I hate to read or, or whatever, I'm too busy. Don't let that stop you. Just, just try and keep some new information, not pulp culture, not political information, but new, just information on whatever, whatever subject actually interests you, um, and, and keep that going. Um, and I think if you build that habit, then it's it's a lot easier to fit in some things that, you know, may be more culturally relevant uh, to this point in time if you want to learn more about what it is we're talking about. Um, but even just a little bit helps. Just just keep a little bit of learning going. Uh, if you're a voracious reader, then, you know, have at it. If we don't have to really <laughs> we don't have to encourage you. You're already a voracious reader um, unless you're purely fiction. And I would say, you know, throw in a little bit of nonfiction in there. Yes. Uh, for educational purposes. But also yeah, true. If you, um, go ahead. Try and read diverse authors. Um, yeah. That's one of the biggest things that I've tried to do is that most of my life I've been very interested in um, what I what I believe is considered like a modern American fiction and uh, modern British fiction. So mostly authors from the late 1890s to the early 19, 1900s, 1920s. Um, you know, James Joyce, Hemingway, Faulkner, that kind of thing. Um, and okay. I and I didn't read a lot of other fiction or nonfiction. And so I've really been branching out the works. The, the, the books that I have been reading, not even just to, to understand social justice theory because I have to branch out. Um, but I recommend people do that just to, to get new perspectives on how things function. And it, so you don't, you know, kind of box yourself into a certain way of thinking like that is that is extremely important. One of the things that I will give the social justice movement is that they um, they criticize people with thinking and viewing the world in one way. Um, It's the white Western way of knowing. Um, And they they take that too far, but there, there is some notion, um, you know, American exceptionalism is a good example of this uh, um, in which I think people feel like if they just read about the great American authors or whatever, then everything's fine. Like what I read is great and that's all I need to know. And that actually is never true. Um, you really do need to read multiple different people. Like I don't believe communism will ever work. Um, and I actually am skeptical that current iterations of socialism, um, as we see them now, uh, so democratic socialism will work either. Um, but I'm still going to read about it because maybe there are things that will work, you know, it, sure. it, yeah. just because I disagree doesn't mean I shouldn't you know, agree with it and, or doesn't mean I shouldn't read about it. And so I, I do recommend people have an open mind with that. I think it's extremely important to um, challenge yourself in the things that you read, even if you're not super psyched about who wrote it and what they believe or the, the material or whatever. Um, 
that'd be my bit there. Yeah. And I was, I mean, same goes true for, um, as best we can with sense making nowadays. Um, but kind of similarly in terms of your, uh, news sources, um, even if you disagree with, you know, Fox news and OAN, hear what they have to say. Um, even if you disagree with the vast majority of it, which I typically do, mm-hmm. uh, occasionally they still make a good point, a valid point, a point that should not be forgotten. Yeah. Um, and if we ha- if we are going to have any hope of, of pulling out of this funk that the country is in, it's going to require that we meet each other in the middle with those commonalities, you know, to, to be able to talk with someone that voted for Trump and say, I, I disagree on a lot of this stuff, but this issue here, this I agree with, I think it's important. Um, and let's work together to see if we can, you know, affect that in a positive way. Um, it, it's the, again, the, the uh, what's the word I'm looking for? The polarization that has occurred um, is damaging in so many different aspects of, you know, our, our social lives and culture in general that we need to make a conscious effort. Okay, today I'm going to look at some Fox News, even if it's tough to do, which it can be, um, or I'm going to read White Fragility, fight for, <laughs> White Fragility, even though I think it's ridiculous, but you still guys should read it, um, to, to have a... a a, a less siloed um, view on the world. Uh, and I think that that's going to be very important for us to, you know, pull together as true Americans to uh, hopefully save this Republic. Yeah. I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I think that's totally right. And uh, you had asked uh, at the start of the podcast and before the podcast, is it possible to save the Republic? Um even with all the stuff we're talking about, I actually don't know the answer to that question. I don't know if uh, you, th- you think we can. I, I don't know. Well, I think it's technically possible. <laughs> um, the probability, on the other hand, I don't know. And um, yeah, my, my faith does not grow stronger as we continue down this path. No. Um, which, you know, it leads me to that other question. Okay, if this thing really is doomed... Um, what can we do to brace ourselves or get ourselves out of harm's way? You know, if you were, if you were a Jew in Germany in 1928, knowing what we know today, what would you have done? Now that's, you know, that, that is a hyperbolic (laughs) statement, but it's very, it's, it's for clarity's sake. It's an easy analogy. Um, I don't think we're going to turn into world war two Germany. Um, but there's a, a genuine and a terrifying threat in front of us. And if it does succeed in its mission of seizing power and make no mistake, that's, that's all it's about. This is not about race. This is not about gender. It's not about any of that. That, that is all just the means by which they are trying to seize power. Um, and if they, in fact, do that, is there anything that we would have wished that we did you know, two years prior, meaning today or whenever it goes down, um, to put ourselves in a better position to either get out of the way or brace ourselves for impacts. So that's I'm, I'm trying to spend some mental energy on that to see if, if there's anything that that can and should be done in that direction. Yep. Uh, oh, um, 
I just remembered it. What, uh, the the movement I was talking about with Mao. It wasn't the year of the flower. It was called the Hundred Flowers Campaign. Oh, that sounds familiar. I may have yeah. heard that somewhere along the line. Okay, yeah. It's yeah, yeah. um, it's taken from a poem. The phrase of which is "Let a hundred flowers bloom. Let a hundred schools of thought contend." Um, hmm. And so the idea being that. Mao would have all the intellectuals give him feedback. And apparently there's some historical uh, debate on whether he was genuinely surprised by the criticism and then, you know, uh, uh, came came down on everyone and set up re-education camps and shit. Or um, if it was all done on purpose so that he could round up the uh, the intellectuals to get them out of the way. Both right. se- both seem plausible to me. Um, <laughs> Who here disagrees with me? Okay, right this way, <laughs> right please. through that door, please. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah. And, and I and I also misspoke too. It wasn't a. It wasn't like three hundred thousand. It was in the. It was in the millions of uh, of uh, letters and notes with things oh, wow. to do. Okay. Yeah, um, I think it was a couple hundred thousand um, people who were rounded up. Is what it was. But okay. um, that's a lot of folks. Yeah, I mean, China's huge, too. So even back in the 50s, it was still pretty big. So um, there was still a lot of folks. Yeah, no. Yeah, it is. Um, There was still if you had to invite them all over to your house. It's a lot of folks. Yeah. But but yeah, so um, that's all I had. All right. Well, keep your chin up, people. We may have to brace for impact, but uh, hopefully we can get ourselves through this. But diversify your information sources, continue to learn in whatever way works well for you, but make sure you're doing something and, uh, you know, try to try to keep your eyes open and look deeply into what people tell you before you blindly follow um, what it is they say, including us. Yeah. Like, don't just take our words for it. Like, do do, look this shit up on your own and form your own opinions. Like Absolutely. a lot of the stuff we talk about, I'm trying to take directly from the books I'm reading and I'm maybe paraphrasing. And I'm also trying to, to pull it together from other books that I've read on same, on the same subjects to distill it down. And I could get that wrong or maybe you view it differently. Um, I'm a fairly cynical individual. So how I look at a lot of things is different than most people. Um, so, you know, take that. As, as, as with a grain of salt and, and just because you disagree with me doesn't I don't care and neither should you right like form your own opinions yeah, and exactly uh, well and that's kind of the whole point and now again one of the encouraging things about seeing um, Eric on uh, on Glenn Beck's show is uh, yeah we should be able to disagree mm-hmm. that's totally normal it's very healthy um, and and that should be to some degree encouraged yeah, you know, let's hash out some ideas. There's nothing wrong with yeah, that. Yeah, no, so. very, very, very true. I mean, over the weekend, my girlfriend and I had a very interesting conversation about free speech, and her and I are on different sides of the free speech spectrum. She is fine with free speech, but how she would define free speech and the things that are disqualified from it is different than what I define it as. So, like, the what is defined as hurt and hate under free speech is different for her than it is for me. Um, Mm, and so yeah. it was very, but we actually had a very productive conversation about, about that. And, um, like it was, it was very nice actually to be able to have that conversation with somebody and in particular someone I'm very close with, uh, in which, you know, it, it didn't go negative. It wasn't like we were angry at each other. It was just that, look, 
I'm on one side of this. I would rather have people say hurtful and hateful things, however that's defined, and then let society point at them and say, hey, dumb fuck, shut up, don't do that, versus just right. not allowing them to say it at all. And she's yeah. much more on the, on the spectrum of um, there are some things that I don't think should be said because of their hateful or hurtful nature, and so I want to stop people from saying them before they say it. Um, and I, I understand that argument. I, I don't. That's not where I fall on on the spectrum of freedom of speech. I think people should be allowed to say those things, but um, so they actually get out into the open. I don't want them to be pushed off to the sides. But it was it was nice to talk with her and go over, even with a disagreement, why she felt that was good and why I felt what I thought was good and or bad, and um, the benefits and the like, kind of the pros and cons of those different things. Um, and that's that sort of dialectic should be celebrated like those are the conversations people should have yeah well do that that conversation in particular i think is something the country needs to have like yes. yesterday because it's it, it needs to be brought up to date our thoughts on free speech need to be uh analyzed through a lens of our current society and more importantly our current technological capabilities mm -hmm. speech is an entirely different thing now than it was 250 years ago um, I, you know, personally, I absolutely still support the spirit of free speech. Mm -hmm. uh, I just think there are conversations to be had, and I don't have the answers either way, but conversations to be had about what our current and even more you know, upcoming levels of technology uh, make possible yeah. and, and how we fit that into what we call free speech. Um, I think that that's an important one, but... Yeah, that's that's good, man. Good conversation. Well, and you know, to that end, we we got to find some Republicans to get on here. Is that, I, I want to talk with somebody who at least disagrees with me on you know a few items, and we can just talk about them like adult, <clears throat> like adults. And uh, I think more importantly, find out where we do have the commonalities. Yeah. And uh, and hopefully start building those bridges. So. Well, I'll start reaching out to some of the uh, some of the insurrectionists who were arrested. See if we can get one on. <laughs> oh, that could be interesting. All right. <laughs> uh, I want the QAnon shaman. I was going to say, I'll try and get QAnon shaman on here and see. Uh, I, if he survives long enough, from what I understand, he's no longer eating because they don't have organic food in prison. Yeah. Yeah. We'll, uh, we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> What will happen, I, I think what happens is if he goes too long without food and he eventually passes out, they'll induce him and put a, put a feeding tube in him. Yeah. So like yeah. at some point he'll just get chained to a, a hospital gurney and they'll put a tube in his throat and uh, force him to eat. So he's kind of, uh, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But yeah, he, he, don't he, bring that on yourself, man. He, eat some food. He's the kind of guy you're going <laughs> to want on your side though when you go on a prison hunger strike though. So. He's, he's got the he's got the conviction. So. <laughs> oh, geez. All right. I want cool. I, I well, wanted I'll, I wanted to end the podcast on a happy note because <laughs> we were talking. Yeah, about we'll so, wrap it on a Q and on Such bleak and dreary stuff before. Um, but yeah, so uh, this has been episode twenty four. Everybody, uh, hope you guys have a good rest of the morning, afternoon, or evening, and uh, stay tuned. And we'll talk to you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Bye.